It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Hi, welcome to our Daily Thunder series on victorious living. I'm really excited to dive into this with you, and this is really one of my biggest passion points, is learning how to walk in the fullness of everything Christianity was meant to be in our lives. And as a busy mom of six, being in ministry full-time, it's really easy to fall into mediocrity, even in my own life. And so this message, these messages have been such a great just reminder for me and kind of like that shot in the arm of what spiritual passion is all about. So our first session is called Victorious Vision, Choosing Radical Devotion to Christ in a World of Mediocrity. Whenever we are surrounded by mediocrity and mediocrity is accepted in the church today and among Christians in our lives, it's really easy to slide into that and assume, well, this is all that Christianity was ever meant to be. And yet when you look at the biblical pattern, when you look at historical Christianity, you see something a lot more radical than a lot of times what we see around us today. And the question is, are we supposed to go after that version of Christianity, or was that just for a different time? Was that just for Bible times or times in history, but not right now? And I have come to believe in my own life and just biblically that this is the kind of Christianity we are all meant to live, but we have to go after it. We can't just pitch our tent in the land of mediocrity and be satisfied. With that, so I wanted to start with this this quote from Henry Henry Scugall, and he said, "He who hath given himself entirely to God will never think that he doth too much for Him." And so often we approach our Christianity kind of looking at the bare minimum that we can give to God. Lord, take this part of my life, but we're reluctant to give Him all of our lives. And yet when we have given ourselves entirely to God, when He is our highest priority, when we have taken that glimpse at what He has done for us, our natural response is to say, Lord, there's nothing you could ask of me that would be too much for the one who gave everything for me. And that is really the foundation of choosing radical devotion to Christ. You can't just decide one day, I'm going to be a radical Christian. It has to flow out of your passion for Jesus Christ, your understanding of what he did for you and your desire to give him everything. And that can be a process that he needs to walk us through. It's it's a lot of us want to just snap our fingers and say, okay, I'm a radical Christian, but but it doesn't work that way. It needs to be built on a relationship with Jesus Christ and understanding who he is, who he wants to be in our lives, and how that plays out into all of our daily decisions. So that's what we're going to be walking through in this session. Let's take a look at Luke 14, 27 through 33. Whoever does not bear his cross, Jesus says, and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple." Those are pretty poignant words. And if you've grown up with that scripture, it might be easy to just kind of glaze over them and think, oh yeah, that sounds good. But are we really willing to leave all that we have in order to radically follow Christ, in order to be his disciple? Are we willing to sit down and count the cost and understand what he's really calling us to before we just say, oh, sure, Lord, I'll go anywhere for you. I'll live whatever way you want me to live without really understanding that means he needs to have our everything. And that can be really scary to surrender everything to him and let him have total control. It's really easy to start out strong in our relationship with Christ and yet eventually become like that man who 
started building, but he never finished because he never really counted the cost. He didn't know what he was signing up for, so he kind of gave up halfway through. If we fail to count the cost, we fail to forsake all, we fail to give up everything in our pursuit of Jesus Christ, we will definitely fall into that place of mediocrity and pitch our tent and say, well, I guess this is all Christianity was ever meant to be. And then we read scripture and we think, why are these epic promises and this epic vision of Christianity, why are these things not real in my life? And that's because we've pitched our tent. We started the building process and we abandoned it. And so when we want to be the disciple of Christ, it means more than just having a a good esteem for the truth. We are in a place when we're ready to become this disciple of Jesus Christ, where we're willing to give up anything and everything and say, Lord, my life is yours. It's no longer my own. I've been bought with a price. So the key truth is this, to be his disciple, we must start all in, but also stay all in for Jesus, no matter what happens in our lives. And that can be a challenge because sometimes when unexpected things happen or disappointments come, or your life takes a different direction than you originally thought, the enemy gets in there and says, well, you know, God can't be trusted. You need to blame God. He let you down. But the reality is it's just that our expectations were redirected, not that God let us down. But if we start listening to the enemy's lies, then we lose that passion for Christ. No matter what happens in the world around us, that's another pitfall a lot of us have struggled with. We start out very passionate about Jesus Christ, but then we feel the social pressure. We feel the climate of the culture, and we kind of want to dim down our pursuit of Jesus so we're not just offensive to everyone around us. And no matter how many temptations come against us, this is another way that the enemy gets us off track in radically pursuing Jesus Christ is to throw temptation our way and try to get us off the path and say, hey, you can find more satisfaction over here than in pursuing Jesus Christ. No matter how misunderstood and reviled we are, because a lot of us, when we face persecution, and Jesus even says this, when we face persecution because of our faith in Christ, our passion starts to wane. We're thinking, I didn't sign up for this. So we need to say, safeguard against all of these pitfalls and say, Lord, I want to pursue you with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, not just in the beginning of my walk with you, but all the way through to the finish line. And that's what it means to choose radical devotion to Christ in a world of mediocrity. So throughout this series in Victorious Living, I want to take a fresh look at the foundations of real Christianity counting the cost, taking up the cross, and following him. And I know for me, I've been passionate about this message for years, but I need to revisit these truths on a regular basis so that I don't lose my passion for Christ. And so some of what I'm sharing may be reminders for you. Some of it may be new. Either way, I pray that it will push you into that place of saying no to mediocrity and yes to that victorious vision that God wants to give us for our lives. And in times like these, it's really important to be freshly reminded what it means to count the cost and take up our cross and follow him because we're surrounded by a culture that is very anti anything God related. And we're surrounded by a church that is oftentimes just steeped in comfortable Christianity. It's okay to pitch your tent and put a Christian label over your life. And so it's easy to not even realize that we've become mediocre in our faith because of what we're surrounded by. I want to take a few looks. I want to give you a few glimpses of some amazing people from Christian history. And ever since I can remember, I've been inspired and deeply challenged by glimpses of this kind of Christianity throughout history, because it gives me a vision for that crucified, radically devoted life that God has called me to. 
And we'll talk a little bit after I go through these stories about, well, are there any modern day examples or all the radical Christians just in history? We'll address that. But I just want to give you a quick little glimpse because this session is all about catching a vision for radical Christianity. And I just want to give you a quick snapshot of some of the men and women that I have been impacted by who have never pitched their tent. And they always were saying, Lord, I want more of you. And it doesn't matter what it costs. The first one is Lilius Trotter. She was a wealthy young woman in the Victorian era in England. She had the opportunity to be a very famous painter, and she could have had a comfortable life, a life of fame and fortune and popularity. She laid all of that down, gave all of it up, and went to be a missionary in the slums of Algeria in a time when people would have told her that is crazy, not only to give up this glittering art career and this comfortable lifestyle of Victorian society, but to go to a place that was that spiritually oppressed and dark. And she just went with a couple other single women, didn't have a lot of support when she went, as far as a big mission team going or people who had already been there and knew what they were doing. And yet she poured out her life for over 40 years among the destitute in Algeria. And what God did through her ministry was astounding. But when I look at her life, I think, wow, she never once pitched her tent. She never once said, well, I'm comfortable here, so I'm going to stay here. She always continued to pursue that endless frontier with Christ, that radical pursuit and devotion to Jesus. And one of the things she said, which I thought was really powerful, was this holiness not safety is the end of our calling. You know, we're so preoccupied these days with keeping our little world safe and comfortable and predictable. And she said, it's not really about that. It's not really about self-protection and safety, but holiness. And that was her pursuit. And her life was tremendously fulfilled. And I think one of the the things we hedge on, especially when we hear about people who gave up so much that the world would say, don't give that up. That's really valuable. And they went to some obscure place and and faced incredible danger and discomfort and heartache. And you think, well, you're choosing a life of misery and discomfort, and you're going to have this unfulfilled, sad existence if you give all this up for that. But the reality is, if you study her life, I've read her bi- biographies. There's a documentary about her. She was so joyful and so full of light and life and so so fulfilled. And you never once get the impression that she regretted her decision. And yet she wasn't pursuing safety. She was pursuing holiness. C.T. Studd is another example. Another example of someone who gave up tremendous opportunities to radically pursue Christ. He could have been a very famous cricket player in England. And again, he was from a very wealthy home as well. So he could have been wealthy and famous and a very esteemed athlete. And he laid all of that down to be a missionary for the rest of his life. And he said this, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. He backed up those words with his life. He didn't just say them, he lived them. Oswald Chambers, who is known for my utmost for his highest, the most famous devotional ever written, also said this, and I want to tell you what he said, and then I'll tell you the backstory behind it. He said, we have no right in Christian service to be guided by our own interests and desires. The delight of sacrifice is that I lay down my life for my friend Jesus. I don't throw my life away, but willingly and deliberately lay it down for him and his interests. 
Now, the backstory of that is that he had the opportunity to get a scholarship to a really prestigious university for both art and I think music is what it was. And instead of that, instead of doing those things, which would have elevated him to high society and opened so many doors for him, he said, I'm not going to pursue that because this life is not about me. And he went to the front lines of the war during the First World War, and he was in Egypt, and he started to pour out his life for the soldiers that were there. And so many of them discovered Christ through his ministry, but nobody was applauding him. He wasn't well-known. It wasn't until after his death that his book, My Outmost for His Highest, even began to make an impact in Christianity. So he chose a life of obscurity when he could have had a life of prestige, prestigious opportunities and popularity and position. Instead, he said, no, I'm going to pour out my life for Christ. And I love how he says, the delight of sacrifice is that I lay down my life for my friend, Jesus. It's It was out of a relationship, out of love for Jesus Christ that he made these decisions, not out of an obligation of saying, oh, well, you know, I just need to choose radical devotion to, to Christ. He said, I do this as a delight for my friend, Jesus, willingly and deliberately for him. John and Betty Stam, they were a young couple who went to China as missionaries right after they were married. And Betty Stam wrote these words in her Bible before she went to the mission field when she was very young in her late teens or early 20s. Lord, I give up all my own plans and purposes, all my own desires and hopes, and accept thy will for my life. I give myself, my life, my all utterly to thee to be thine forever. Fill me and seal me with thy Holy Spirit. Use me as thou wilt. Send me where thou wilt and work out thy whole will in my life at any cost now and forever. And it wasn't but a few years later that she and her husband became martyrs in China. And their sacrifice, instead of scaring missionaries away and thinking, well, if going to the mission field as a young couple with all this potential, and then they just lose their life within the first like few months that they were there, because that's really what happened, I'm not going to go to the mission field. But the opposite happened. People said if they have that much courage, if they're that surrendered, if they're that given to, to Christ and his purposes, I want to go. And so their martyrdom sparked this incredible missionary movement all around the world. And it's just really powerful to think that she had already laid down her life. She had already counted the cost even before she went to China. And she probably wasn't, when she found out she was going to be martyred, saying, wait, God, this isn't what I signed up for because she had already given up her life. Jim Elliott, most of us know his story. He and the other missionaries who were martyred by the Aka Indians in South America and just trying to reach this tribe that nobody else had ever been able to reach. And their deaths seemed very tragic at the time, and yet they paved the way for the gospel to come to an area where it had never been able to penetrate before. And this was his heart attitude going into that whole missionary venture. Father, take my life, yea, my blood, if thou wilt, and consume it with thine enveloping fire. I would not save it, for it is not mine to save. Have it, Lord, have it all. So those are glimpses of radical devotion to Christ. Now, it looks different in everyone's story, in everyone's life, the way God wants us to live it out. It's not always martyrdom. It's not always giving up a career to go to the mission field, but it is that heart attitude that says, I'm holding nothing back. Everything belongs to Jesus. Now, the common complaint that I sometimes hear when I talk about historical Christianity is what about modern day examples? You know, do we always have to look to history? Are there any modern day examples of radical devotion to Christ? There definitely are. I 
I just just look at some of the documentaries like The Insanity of God or Free Burma Rangers, or look at some of the persecution.org and Voice of the Martyrs, and some of those ministries highlighting people who are radically giving everything for Jesus Christ. But God is still writing their stories, and there are so many others that we won't know their stories until after they're gone, or maybe not even until heaven. And yet they do exist. They're just harder to find because their stories aren't done yet. And sometimes it, you know, most of these people that I just read about in history, it was after their death, sometimes years and years and years, decades after their death, that their radical devotion and their story came to the surface and other people could be blessed by it. So don't fall for that idea that like, oh, that was just for historical Christians. That's for all Christians. But it's easier to point almost to the historical examples because we it's harder to find the modern day examples. We'll know their stories though in heaven. Here's the key truth. God is calling you and me to become modern day examples of radical devotion to Christ in gen- this generation. It's not just for Christians in extreme situations. It's for each of us right where we're at with the steps of obedience that are right in front of us. And don't miss that truth because a lot of times we think, well, I don't really think Hudson Taylors and Gladys Aylwards and C.T. Studs exist anymore. And that might be because he's calling you and me to be those radical Christians in this generation. You, know, We want to look to these examples and say, well, where are the examples today? Maybe he's calling you to be one of them or me to be one of them. You don't have to do something earth shattering or have a book written about you to fulfill this calling of radically pursuing Christ. Here's another key truth. There are no special Christians, only faithful Christians. We are not all called to accomplish tasks that will directly shape the course of history in a dramatic or obvious way, but each of us is called to be fully about our Father's business, wherever He has placed us, and fully obedient to whatever He calls us to. It is this kind of ordinary, everyday faithfulness that will change the world. And even the Christian heroes that we study, or those that I've just mentioned, were not incredible, amazing people individually. They were ordinary people who took one step of obedience at a time. So let's talk about how we can catch that vision for more. How do we gain that victorious vision for our own lives? I remember a number of years ago meeting with a Christian publisher, and we were talking about books for Christian women, and he was talking about, well, we don't want to publish anything for Christian women today that is too radical or makes them have to get out of their comfort zone or makes them feel like you know what they have right now isn't, isn't enough and they need to really go after Jesus because women today just can't handle any kind of deeper challenge. They just, they're comfortable with their, where they're at, and we just need to speak to them there and never try to push them beyond that. And if, to me, that was such a an eye-opening picture of just the church in general, not just Christian women, where we've pitched our tent and then the, the Christian publishing industry or maybe the, the church at large kind of comes in and says, well, everyone's pitched their tent here. So let's just try to speak to them right where they are in this land of mediocrity and not challenge anybody to pull up their tent stakes and go forward with Christ. It made me ask the question, what if we went after more, if all of us went after more? Instead of just getting frustrated that we see mediocrity around us, what if we decided that we weren't going to be satisfied with mediocrity in our own lives and we began to go after more and more of Christ? Imagine if all of us caught that vision, how the church at large could change. In looking at my own life, I realized that God is constantly giving me opportunities to choose between radical devotion to Christ and comfortable mediocrity. 
Early in my Christian life, for those of you who know my story, I would say I had a Christian label over things that I did. I really wasn't all about Jesus Christ. I was about myself and what I wanted with a Christian label over it. And it's pretty easy for us to think that we're radically following Christ just because we esteem the idea of radically following Christ. But what does our life say? What is the fruit of our life? And I remember a time when God called me sort of away. This was when I was a teenager, away from kind of my friends and my circle of of popularity and activities and things that were distracting me. And I went to this missionary base on a trip. And at that place, God just met me and gave me a vision that I was called to something more. That was really the first time I felt called to say, okay, I've just been fitting Christ into my life, but he's asking me to build my life around him and to walk away from everything that is distracting me from Christ. And when I made that decision to say, yes, Lord, I will pursue you with all of my heart, soul, soul, mind, and strength, no matter what that means. I did make some pretty radical decisions in my life. I stepped away from a lot of the things that the typical teenage girl would have to you know, make her a success or happy. And I went after Jesus. And that's really when I began to live for the first time because I was living for him. There have been moments ever since that time early in my Christian walk where I find that I'm standing at a crossroads, asking that question, am I going to choose the comfortable, easy way, or am I going to choose radical devotion to him? So a few bigger moments that stand out in my past decade or so. I remember Eric and I being at a Christian event for Christian authors, and we were invited there by a publisher because of some books we had written. And they were having all of the most popular Christian authors speak at this dinner. And every single speaker who got up to speak was sharing a message that was not biblical. It was like this twisted counterfeit of God's truth. And yet because their books were selling so well, even in Christianity, they were given a stage and a platform. And after the the, spe- the speech was done by all these different authors and speakers, everybody in the room gave them a standing ovation. And I remember Eric and I said, we cannot, we don't want to be rude to anyone, but we cannot stand to our feet and applaud for a message that is different than what the word of God says and is leading people astray. And so making that decision to say, no, we're not going to stand up, definitely ruffled feathers and kind of put us on really thin ice in the Christian publishing world. It was just a a short little moment, but it was that decision to say, no, I have to stand for what I know is true. And I remember when Eric and I first decided that God was really prompting us to come away from traveling and speaking and influencing thousands of people at a time to start a discipleship school called Ellerslie. And we were walking away from security. A lot of people said that we were making a bad decision, that we were going to be less effective. But God was saying, I want you to leave all of this, and I want you to pour into the church through deeper discipleship. And even if that means you're only reaching 50 or 100 people at a time versus 2,000 at a time, I want you to take them deeper in truth. And so again, that was the decision to say no to something that was comfortable and predictable and yes to the unknown. And adoption, that's been another journey that God has taken me on where Eric and I have cultivated that pre-decided yes, that when a need is presented to us to adopt a child who does not have a family, that our posture, the posture of our soul is a willingness and a readiness to say yes. And that's led to the adoption of four children. And I often look at my life and think, wow, there are a lot of challenges that I'm walking through now that I wouldn't have if I hadn't said yes to adopting those four children. There are 
lots of difficulties that come when you say yes to that. And I'm still, even though my children are much older now than when we first said yes to adopting them, we're still walking through the ramifications of that radical decision to say yes. And yet I don't regret it because I know it was obedience. There are also small everyday areas that God challenges me to say, are you going to stay where you're comfortable or are you going to follow me radically? Some of you know the story of when Eric and I were kind of addicted to pop culture entertainment. This was early in our ministry. We were burned out, exhausted, and we always had to have our movie fix or our our show marathon or our binge watching sessions. But sitting in a movie theater one time and just taking in these messages that were not honoring to God, but just under the banner of like, I just need to turn my mind off and go brain dead. And God convicting me and saying, have you really ever experienced that in my presence is the fullness of joy? You're going after a counterfeit here where you have to have this worldly entertainment fix all the time in order to have peace and joy. Are you willing to find that in me? And that was a turning point in our life, as small as that sounds, just to choose to find our satisfaction and our refueling in Christ and in his presence versus always going after the entertainment and distractions of the culture in order to find that. Or how will I handle daily relationships? Sometimes there there have been friendships in my life, even as a Christian, where I recognize they're pulling me away from Christ. They're distracting me from Christ. Am I willing to walk away from those things, even if I have to ruffle feathers or say no to things that kind of meet an emotional need in my life in order to say yes to Christ's priorities for me? Or decision-making, to always approach decision-making with this attitude that says, not what do I want, but what does he want? And that can be a mindset shift for a lot of us. There are a lot of times over the past 20 years or so that I have wanted to walk away from ministry, and it's that's what I wanted. That wasn't what Christ wanted. And I remember one time, one of the first times I decided I am just done with ministry. It is, for those of you who are not in ministry, you know, it can be easy to romanticize it and think, oh, it's just, it's so fulfilling and you get to really feel like you're doing something valuable. It is amazing and it's such a privilege, but it comes with a lot of spiritual battle. And there have been times I really just didn't know if I could keep going. And early in our ministry, I had pretty much decided I'm done. And then I got a letter from a a 12 or 13-year-old girl saying, don't ever stop what you're doing because it's changed my life and it's changing others' lives. And God used that to just awaken me to, to say, you know, I'm just asking what I want, what's going to make me happy, not, Lord, what do you desire to do through my life? So in big areas and small areas, here's the key truth. Jesus is calling each and every one of us to forsake everything and follow him radically in spite of mediocrity that we may see see all around us. How are we going to respond to his invitation? When we look at scripture, we see two very different responses. And I want to just contrast a couple stories here. The first one is the four fishermen. When Jesus called some of his early disciples, they responded with immediate action. So let's just take a look at the story. Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So you see in that passage twice the word immediately, immediately left is is in there twice, almost like God wants to underline it for us and say, this was an immediate. There was no hesitation or hedging or saying, well, I don't know. I don't know if the cost is going to be too great. They just said, okay, Lord, you've called me. I'm going to say yes, I'm going. 
And that's really the heart of radical devotion to Christ that he wants to cultivate in each of us. Leonard Ravenhill, who was a man that I really look up to in in history, who prayed and preached on revival all of his life, when he was 14 years old and he felt like God called him to radically follow him, his response was, Lord, not only will I not go back, I won't even look back. He was working at a tailor's shop, like a tailor's apprentice. So he took off his tailor's apron and said, I'm not even going to look back. It's all about you from now on. And he went into Bible school and became an evangelist. And that was just like immediate. Lillian Trasher is a is a woman who started the first Christian or- orphanage in Egypt. And she was just days away from her wedding day. She was an American woman at, and about to be married to a great godly Christian man. And suddenly she knew that God was calling her to a foreign country to be a missionary for the rest of her life. And so she said to God, I can't deny you, not even for an amazing godly man. So she said, I'll give up my dreams of marriage in order to follow you. And she had an incredible ministry to thousands of orphans and widows in Egypt as a result. So we see that immediate action, Lord, even if it's painful, I'm giving up everything to follow you. And then you see another story in scripture, which is the rich young ruler. Instead of immediate action, he had immediate hesitation. Here's the story. As Jesus was going out on the road, one came running and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he answered and said to them, teacher, him, teacher, all these things I have kept for my youth. Then Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, Go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come take up your cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now let's look at the rich young ruler here. He had all of the eagerness and enthusiasm to follow Christ. I mean, he came running and he knelt before Jesus. He wasn't holding Jesus at arm's length. He actually had the desire to follow him. And he even had self-discipline and reverence for God's pattern. He had been keeping the commandments of God from his youth, but he didn't have a heart of radical devotion for Christ. He didn't have a willingness to pull up those tent stakes and say, I'm following you into the endless frontier no matter what it costs me. This man had just been given the opportunity of a lifetime because the Messiah looked at him with love and invited him to become his follower. But the invitation came with a price, and it was too great a price in this young man's mind. He had to give up everything, and he couldn't do it. And despite a sense of sadness, he even felt regret and sadness as he walked away. He didn't turn around and change his mind. He just said, the cost is too great. Now, can you relate to that kind of inner battle? Some of us can because we've been at that place where we want to follow Christ. We want to give everything for him, and yet the cost just seems too great. We just don't have the capacity to say yes. Maybe you felt the desire to let Christ take complete control of your life, but then you hesitate. The calling seems too extreme. People in your life won't understand. We've probably all been there at one point in time or another in our lives, and some of us are probably in that struggle right now. Here's a key truth. 
as the world around us becomes more hostile towards Christianity, we are facing a crossroads between comfortable mediocrity and radical devotion to Christ. In the midst of intense pressure to conform to social correctness, it's so imperative that each of us grapple with that question, how far are we willing to go in our devotion to Christ? Is there such a thing as being too extreme in our passion for him? You will actually hear Christians say this if you keep following him into the endless frontier. Well, that's unnecessary. That's too extreme. But there's another question that we should be asking, like, Lord, is this too much? Is this too extreme? Let's ask the right question. Is he worth it? Is he worthy? Let's look at Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Being in the form of God, he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of a cross. This is what he has done for you and me. He gives all and he asks all. When we take communion, it's that symbol of receiving that amazing sacrifice, everything that he died to give us, we are receiving that. And we're reminded of that when we take communion, but there's that other piece of it. He gives all and he asks all. So when we take communion, we're also saying, we're saying, Lord, your body and your blood for me, but we're also saying my body and my blood are available to you. And that's that beautiful covenant relationship that we are meant to have with Jesus Christ. He gives all, he asks all, and we willingly respond and say yes. If you are at a place where you think, well, I don't know if I can say yes, that just feels really uncomfortable. I don't know what's out there in the endless frontier of radically following after Jesus Christ, ask him for the grace, for him to do a work of grace in your life to give you that willingness to say, yes, Lord, even if you aren't in that place right now, because that's a miracle he loves to do in our hearts. So even if you aren't at the place of saying, yes, Lord, I will, I will follow you to the ends of the earth or wherever you call me, say, yes, Lord, I am willing for you to make me willing. Let's finish with a few really powerful quotes from historical Christians. Amy Carmichael said, ours should be the love that asks not how little, but how much, the love that delights to pour out everything upon the feet of our beloved. So instead of saying, how little can I give you, Lord, we should say, how much can I give you? Because it is such a delight to pour out everything for the one who poured out everything for me. C.T. Studd said this, don't come to the mission field if you want to make a great name or live long. Come if you feel there is no greater honor after living for Christ than to die for him. And whether or not we're called specifically to the mission field overseas, we have a mission field right in front of us. We have the endless frontier with Christ sitting right there. We shouldn't follow him down this path to make a great name or live long, but to be in that place of saying there is no greater honor after living for you, Christ, than to die for you. My prayer is that God would give us that vision and give us that willingness to radically follow him because that is the way he has called each of us to live. And truly, there is no greater adventure. There is no greater sense of fulfillment we could ever find than saying, Lord, I'm holding nothing back. Everything is yours. God bless. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to get all the details. 
Thanks for listening.